that was where the, the genesis for this book. There was a brother on staff with me. And, uh, you know, I asked the question in a fairly formal context, you know, are there any ways, are there any things I need to, I don't remember how exactly I asked it, but some, as his supervisor, just anything I need to know as I, you know, as I supervise you, as we work together. And he took that opportunity to say, you know, I, I think that, you know, you struggle with being harsh and that makes it hard for us to have a really productive relationship. That's Aaron Minikoff. He pastors in Mount Vernon, Georgia. He wrote a book called Character Matters, Shepherding and the Fruit of the Spirit. We invited him on to talk about the developing of the fruit of the Spirit in the local church. Welcome to the Fire and Bones podcast. I'm Michael Crosswhite, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And I am Nathan Loudon, the pastor of Millwood Baptist Church in Austin, Texas. Follow the podcast, rate it. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Tell us about yourself. Where, where are you from? Where did you grow up? And how did you come to believe in Christ? Well, I was born in Hawaii, um, but my parents divorced when I was one. And so mm. I ended up growing up in Oregon with my mom. My dad stayed in Hawaii. My dad is Jewish. My mom is more new age. Um and she remarried when I was five. And so I've got two dads and it wasn't a Christian home. We celebrated Christmas and Easter, but, you know, it was more about presents and uh, chocolate bunnies. Um, and it wasn't until high school that I first heard the gospel. And uh, I was intrigued by the life of some Christians that I'd gotten to know. Uh, they, they were just um, attractive lives, and it made me wonder if Christianity could be true. So I started going to church, and uh, it was a megachurch in Beaverton, Oregon, and uh, I was intrigued by the preaching. And uh, over time, over the course of a few months, the Holy Spirit softened my heart. And eventually, I wanted to submit my life to Christ. In the context of this church, that meant praying the sinner's prayer. I didn't really have any significant discipleship, so I didn't exactly know what that meant. But I, I knew that I, I came to believe Jesus is God, that he died on the cross for my sins, and, uh, and that that meant there were a lot of things in my flesh I wanted to do that, you know, as a Christian, I couldn't do. That was about the extent of my theology as a freshman in college. Um, a few months after that, uh, toward the end of my freshman year, I was baptized as a believer and uh, have been walking with the Lord ever since. Um, it's a very simple salvation story because I didn't raise a lot of theological objections. In, in my mind, if if there is a God, then Christianity is true. I know there's like a thousand holes in that argument, but in all <laughs> honesty, as an 18-year-old, that's where I was. And uh, 
And I just, I, I am obviously thankful that God, God rescued me. Um, and so that again, so by the time I was a sophomore in college, very, very young believer, but walking with the Lord. That's really sweet. It sounds especially sweet to me to hear you. We're, we've asked you on to write a book about, called Character Matters about the, the fruit of the spirit. And what stood out to you most, uh, the very beginning was the fruit in other people's lives. And finding that attractive is a really sweet thing to consider. Yeah, it, it is interesting because you know, when I look back at, at my experience in high school, I grew up again in the, in the, in the secular Pacific Northwest. I didn't really know a lot of Christians, but for some reason, my senior year of high school, I went to a baccalaureate service. I didn't really even know what that was, but I quickly came Who to does? realize this is kind of a Christian service yeah. on campus. And I, I remember sitting there and uh, a couple of students got up to speak. And then I quickly put two and two together and realized, oh, they're speaking because these are like Christian leaders. And I, I had not had good experiences with at least one of these Christian leaders. Uh, and that left a really bad taste in my mouth. So I guess, you know, I got to see both sides. I got to see those who bore the name of Christ, but uh, at least they didn't bear fruit that I could see. But then others that just bore abundant fruit. And, uh, and, and I think God used both of those facts in my, in my life. Praise God. How long have you been at your, where, where's your church now and how long have you been there? So my church is uh, in, in Sandy Springs, Georgia, which is just north of Atlanta, uh, inside the perimeter, uh, as we say. And uh, I became the pastor here in 2008. So I'm in, I'm in my 14th year. Awesome. I gather from the pictures that the church building can hold uh, a fair amount of people, but the way your book talks, it wasn't full when you came there 14 years ago. The room wasn't full on Sunday morning. Is that the case? Yeah, yeah, it is true. And, and there, it was, it was um, if we had a full Sunday, it was filled with lots of people who weren't members. Now, hmm. that can be a really great thing, right? It means that, you know, if, You've got visitors and people are seeking the Lord. But in, in 2008, it sort of represented a kind of squishy evangelicalism mm -hmm. where you had a lot of people who saw church as, you know, maybe a, a community club and not so much as a family of faith where we've locked arms to do ministry together. And as a result of... Um, of a different vision for church ministry, I quickly saw people slowly depart. And so the departure wasn't, um, it wasn't uh, like a, a mass exodus all at once, but it was a slow and steady, you know, Aaron, we like you, but this is not the church for us. And, uh, and I, that was about, I don't know, six, seven years of that. Yeah, yeah. Well, praise God for your faithfulness. I know you you shared in the book, as we'll talk in a moment, there's um, more than one day where you thought, maybe this is over. Maybe I'm not the right fit. I don't have the skill set to take this church to the next level. And just hearing about you being faithful through times like that's encouraging to us. So praise God for that. Yeah, yeah. That, Um. I mean, I remember, I remember the, uh, yeah, I remember thinking to myself, 
I mean, I really know what a, what a healthy church is. I've been a part of a healthy church. You know, I know that God uses his word to build the church, but I just wonder, could a guy with a different skill set do a better job? Uh, is there a brother who might better be, be able to speak to this sort of Southern culture? I mean, there was a lot of, there was a lot of self-doubt that went through my mind. And um, it's troubling when you like know all of the, the correct theological answers. And yet you recognize that, you know, number one, you know, God doesn't guarantee even the best theologians or the best pastors numerical growth. You look at Jeremiah, right? I mean, very faithful prophet, but <laughs> pastoring, you know, excuse me, uh, pro prophesying to a very unfaithful people. Uh, you look at Jesus, who, you know, the best and those closest to him departed. So there's no guarantee of numerical growth. Uh, but then you also know that God calls us to be able to teach and, um, and he does use the gifts of men. And so when you're in the midst of a difficult situation, it's really easy to second guess whether or not, you know, you should, whether or not you should be there. And it's, it's interesting to me that, you know, at the end of my book, uh, I try to address pastors who may be going through a really difficult time in their church. And I have to be really honest with them, or I chose to be very honest with them and say, I don't know if you should be a pastor. Mm -hmm. You know, you may not be gifted. Um, that's for those closer to you to know. I just want you to know that, you know, by God's grace, you can persevere because patience is a gift of the, of the Holy Spirit. So it's a, it's, a, it's a complicated algorithm, isn't it? Sort of pastoral yeah. ministry. You know, yeah. God, God moves his people around. And just because you're a pastor right now uh, in this particular local church, you know, doesn't, doesn't mean you should be there. And right. uh, those are complicated questions to get to the bottom of. Yeah, which I think is helpful. Uh, yeah, you're right. And there's no pastor. I, I can't imagine. I, I shouldn't speak in uh, absolutes, I guess, superlatives, but... It, it's pretty common among pastors to go through seasons, especially this season right now uh, in America coming out of COVID and so many challenges uh, to have feelings like that, have thoughts like that, uh, second guessing uh, ourselves, uh, our calling, our giftedness. Uh, so your your book, I, I don't know if you timed it for that, but it certainly does uh, seem to speak into a lot of that experience for pastors and my understanding of the book was the angle was kind of pastors, there are all kinds of crisis, trials, struggles, but you need the fruit of the Spirit too. It's not just something for you to teach to your church. Uh, it's it's very often the answer to what you're going through. Um, is, that, is that a fair kind of over-summary of why you wrote the book and how you wrote the book? Yeah, I mean, I think in, you know, to put it in, it's historical context um you know i'm i'm right at that age where you know the young restless and reformed kind of movement uh was birthed when i was roughly that age so the pipers and the and the kellers and the macarthur's and the molers and you know my my personal pastor the mark dever these guys you know you know, were and, you know, are my heroes. And, um, 
I learned, I learned to be a faithful pastor by being, you know, at Capitol Baptist Church in DC, by reading their works, by listening to their sermons. And something that I observed in my own life was this idea that, you know, because I have all the right, what I consider to be the right theological answers, because I, I understand ecclesiology, which is the doctrine of the church, um, if I just focus on sound doctrine and sound ecclesiology, I mean, I know I need to watch my life, but, but I, I'm not going to, you know, yeah. that's the easy part. Yeah. So in that, in that context, I became to wonder, I came to wonder, you know, are there other men who, who perhaps have not given as much attention to Paul's admonition to Timothy to watch his life? and doctrine closely. And it's, I don't want to say it's easy, but I know a lot of brothers, myself included, who are pretty scrupulous when it comes to issues like sexual immorality. You know, we, mm -hmm. we work hard to, you know, just to not look at a woman lustfully. Uh, mm -hmm. we, we, we work hard to not be greedy, you know, just to be faithful in our own budgeting and our personal mm -hmm. finances. And yet, how are we doing when it comes to issues related to pride? How are we doing when it comes to issues like envy? How are we doing when it comes to issues like um, harshness with others? Mm -hmm. um, I'm reminded of a, of a book that Jerry Bridges wrote a number of years ago, um, Respectable Sins. You know, I mm -hmm. think in pastoral ministry, there, there are some aspects uh, that we tend to assume you know, gentleness, mm -hmm. kindness, goodness, love. And uh, the longer I was in ministry, the more I thought, well, I don't think I can assume any of this. I need to be vigilant uh, in, in these particular areas. And so that's, uh, that's the sort of the, the context of the book. Yeah, that's really helpful. How's the, how's the book been received? Um, have, you, have you had guys kind of call you angry and going, how do you know my life? Have you been reading my mail? <laughs> I, I mean, I think it definitely, you know, the book was written, the book was written for pastors. I mean, everything I say is, is true for every Christian. You know, it's uh, Paul in Galatians five, wasn't addressing the pastor there. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but obviously it, it resonates with pastors. I mean, there's something unusually, um, uh, there's something about being a pastor where you have to reveal yourself to a congregation, right? If you're doing pastoral work right, you're like Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, who says, I desire to share not only the gospel of God, but my own self as well. Okay. And I think when you do that, you become unusually aware of your own failings and your mm -hmm. own weaknesses. And so I think because I chose to be fairly transparent about what I perceive my weaknesses to be and patterns of sin in my life, I do think that resonated and resonates with a number of pastors out there. So I don't want to whine. I don't mean to whine. I don't mean to complain, but I do mean to be honest and nitty gritty mm -hmm. about uh, some of the struggles, some of the internal struggles of pastoral ministry. And so mm -hmm. I've been encouraged by you know, a number of uh, elder bodies that have, have read the book. 
you know, even missionaries on the field, mm-hmm. you know, who are struggling in their own way with the question of fruitfulness. Uh, they've been encouraged by the book. And that's, I mean, that's great. As I was reading the the book, I kept thinking, this is obviously so ap- applicable to, to me. And as Nathan kind of said, you know, it, it felt a good bit like you're reading my mail. And, and it, it also encouraged me to think, well, there's, there's, these thoughts are not original to me. They're, they're common, you know, amongst a wide array of, of, of people in the church, especially pastors. But I was thinking, you know, is there, have you had members of the church read this and how have they responded to it? And would you recommend it to church members and how would you recommend them read it? Well, I mean, you can answer that. I mean, I want to answer that at a couple of different levels. One is, you know, when you're describing your own experience at your church, sometimes it can be a little bit awkward when I'm describing what I understood the church to be like 13 years ago when I came. So I'm really thankful for Mount Vernon. I'm thankful for the saints who were here when I got here. And in many ways, I wanted to be careful not to like throw them under the bus. Like I... I wish I was a better pastor 13 years ago. You know, I wish I loved them better than I did 13 years ago. Um, But at the same time, I think there were some appetites they had that I think were less than biblical. And inevitably that's gonna come out in the book. But today, uh, I mean, I love it when a member of Mount Vernon might read the book just to get to know me a little bit better and get to know their church a little bit better, kind of see what we've been through. I think it's useful for that. but even then, like I said, I mean, even a, uh, you know, if you're a lawyer, a plumber, I mean, you're going to struggle with like, do you love your clients? Do you love your, you know, do you love your family? Uh, are you are you patient with your kids? Um, are you harsh with your wife? Uh, are you uh, do you have self control? And this is just like basic Christianity. Right. So. Yeah, I targeted the pastor, obviously, but I'm really happy when a member of the church reads it, not not primarily so they get to know me better, but so that maybe they might get to know their own heart a little bit better as well. How do you think a pastor goes about drawing a congregation's attention to the fruit of the spirit as it's worked out in the life of the body um, to, to, to make it a priority, essentially? Well, um, pastors, I think that good pastors learn to say things again and again and again and again and again. When you read through the New Testament, you notice that there's more than one uh, virtue list, just like there's more than one sin list. I mean, you might be in Colossians, you might be in Ephesians, you might be in First Peter or Galatians. And again and again and again, these biblical authors would draw our attention to what the Christian life looks like. One list might have compassion as a piece of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Another list might have goodness. So no two lists are exactly the same. What I take away from that is as a pastor, I want to constantly be exposing the congregation that I serve to these little snapshots of the Christian life. So very practically for me on a Sunday morning, I'm always praying for a piece of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. One week it might be compassion. Another week it might be self-control, you know, from different passages of scripture. I just want us to understand that this is like, this is normal 
it is just normal in the Christian life to pay attention to what's going on in our own heart and how our heart is manifest in our daily living. So, um, you know, that's why in our preaching, it's important to make application. You know, in the history of the church, sometimes there's been some debate about how much application should we really give. Some pastors have said, you know, if I give too much application, um, I am, I'm doing the work of the Holy Spirit. You know, I want to let the Holy Spirit speak to that individual believer on his own terms. Well, I get what they're saying, but I would just say the Bible is filled with application. And so as I'm looking, as I'm preaching through texts, I want to be thoughtful. Is this an opportunity for me to exhort the congregation to and just fill in the blank? And the Bible just gives us a lot of, a lot of uh, answers to those fill in the blanks. Again, in this case, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. So it just flavors, right? It just flavors your preaching and, uh, and, and, and your own personal disciple-making. Uh, as I was reading, um, I, I think for, for me, I'm seeing a lot of things every chapter that I'm, that I'm like, obviously uh, feeling guilty about <laughs> and, uh, for one reason or another. But, um, you know, the evaluation process is something I'm thinking about as I'm reading through it going, how does one properly evaluate this is me, this is me, I, I struggle with self-control, or I struggle with uh, patience, or goodness, or, or gentleness, or whatever, uh, how does, how does someone, how would you say to a, a member of your congregation to, that they properly evaluate what sort of things that they struggle with? Well, number one, uh, as you are in the Bible, and you should constantly be asking yourself the question, um, you know, after you ask, what does this text say about God? After you ask, you know, how does this text sort of unpack or point to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Uh, after you ask, you know, how does this passage fit into the storyline of scripture? You should be asking the question, you know, what impact ought this text have on my life? So the Bible is a mirror. And if we look into it, we're going to see ourselves rightly. Uh, the church is um, the church is a family, and so the brothers and sisters in your life, if you're being, if you're, if you're really living the Christian life, they know you, and they know your flaws, and so you should be humble enough to ask them, <clears throat> you know, do you see areas in my life that I that, that you want me to grow in? Um, I mean, that's how, that was where the, the genesis for this book. There was a brother on staff with me. And, uh, you know, I asked the question in a fairly formal context, you know, are there any ways, are there any things I need to, I don't remember how exactly I asked it, but some, as his supervisor, just anything I need to know as I, you know, as I supervise you, as we work together. And he took that opportunity to say, you know, I, I think that, you know, you struggle with being harsh, and that makes it hard for us to have a really productive relationship. Uh, so as a pastor, it's really important to create a culture where brothers and sisters are willing to say difficult things to you. Um, if you're married, you know, obviously, you know, 
your wife is going to know quite well what your weaknesses are. You just want to make sure that she feels comfortable sharing those with you. Yeah. Uh, as I, I was reading it and, and I, I think your book did a really good job of just pointing out how, how much I struggle with gentleness and, um, and my wife confirmed that she was happy to, to say, <laughs> yeah, you do. Uh, and so that was, that was, that was good and pointed to exactly what you're saying. Now for someone that you're counseling and you're, you're, you know, the fruits of this, the fruit of the spirit is, is coming to, to, you know, up and, and, discussing certain pieces of the fruit of the spirit that they're struggling with, what do you recommend once there's identification, what do they do next? Well, there's repentance, you know, there's, you know, second Corinthians seven, we're told to exercise godly sorrow. And so, you know, if, if something has been identified and you're convinced it's been, especially a pattern of sin, there needs to be genuine repentance um, of going to the Lord. And, you know, and it's a wonderful thing when you can go to the Lord having identified your sin. I mean, I was reading this morning in Numbers about, you know, unintentional sins and sinning with a high hand. And uh, it's a fascinating category, right? These unintentional sins that needed atonement. Well, it's a, it's a really great thing when the Holy Spirit uses people in the Bible to make you aware of these sins. And now the key is, now don't go sin with a high hand. Okay, if you're aware of this and you keep on in it, you know, that's, you're coming close to sinning with a high hand and you don't want to do that. So, you know, now it's time to, now it's time to, to repent. And, um, and then to begin, you know, the long, hard process of sanctification. I mean, it's not like I wrote a book on, Christian character and all of a sudden, you know, all of my sin is gone. I mean, it's a, it's a daily battle for me to be gentle with others. Um, but, you know, we take up our cross every day and we follow Christ. We put sin to death every day. I'm just trying to, I just wanted to contribute to a stack of literature that says, don't overlook these sins because they aren't on your radar screen, you know, or don't overlook these virtues because, you know, because kindness doesn't seem as important to you as sexual purity. Like, no, kindness is really important. You know, sexual purity is really important. Um, but that's, that's my concern, is that we overlook those that don't seem quite as important. Yeah. And what I found so helpful in your book was that you tied you tied those things not only narrowly to the kind of gospel-centered purpose of growth into Christ-likeness, but that pastorally was showing up in places like this, and I might not have even realized it. Uh, it wasn't only a personal piety happening in my heart that needed to grow, uh, that it was actually my my co-worker actually noticed my harshness and it affected our relations um so I, I appreciated your sharing that because it it kind of led me to think not only kind of personally how do i feel about things um but you know, would there be anyone who didn't want to come talk to me about something 
because of how I've acted toward them. Mm-hmm. And that's possible as a pastor that I've done that, that I've created that scenario uh, some some way. Uh, yeah. So I find that very helpful to think about. Yeah, I am. Um, One of the things I wanted to ask is yeah. about kind of the, the timeline and how we just endure uh, uh, what is slow growth. There's a few places you talk about slow growth, uh, one of them at more length. Um, and I'll, I'll read a quote from page 74. You said, I, I knew all of this intellectually, but my heart was out of breath trying to keep up with my head. I'd love for you to ex- explain a little bit more how you how you think about that. My heart was out of breath head in my sinful pride i thought if i just passed her better things would turn around faster i was tempted to give up i just think that's so true storily every uh so will my one-on-one discipleship members of my church just go i'm exhausted uh it's hard discipling it's hard growing myself um, so what, what did you mean that my heart was out of breath trying to keep up with my head? And, uh, then just as a follow-up would be, uh, your, your encouragement that you give us in regards to kind of not quitting the process of discipleship. Yeah, that's a great, it's a great, it's a great question. I think what I mean by that is, um, it's not a very complicated theological or biblical statement to recognize that, you know, Paul planted Apollos water, but God gave the growth. You know, if you're a pastor, you've probably preached on that, and you know what it means. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're with your head, with your head, you know that unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. And that's just true. And again, we could go back to all these examples of very, very faithful, you know, prophets in Scripture, apostles in Scripture, and of course, our own Savior who labored and labored and labored but did not see numerical results. All right. But it's one thing to know something intellectually, but it's another, it's another thing to be at a church that simply is not growing at the rate that you think it ought to grow for various reasons. I mean, I, I feel like uh, I'm just like repeating the alphabet. I know this is so basic, but for me, it didn't feel basic. For me, it was hard. I just thought, certainly, I'm in Atlanta, you know, I'm uh, certainly, you know, I should see more than I'm seeing right now. Uh-huh. And, um, and I, yeah, I just got spiritually out of breath. Uh-huh. And, you know, I had godly, you know, men in my life telling me, it's, it's the Lord, you know, he does, his hand of blessing isn't always on you know, every ministry that's orthodox. But, you know, maybe in my flesh, I just thought, well, I deserve more. I deserve better. Or I must be doing it's. I must be doing something wrong. So that's my answer to the first part of your question. The answer like, so what do you do? Is that what you're asking? Like, what do you do if that's what you're experiencing? Yeah, how do you, how do you face that discouragement of, you know, feeling like, not even that you're not even going numerically, but that the person you're discipling as a pastor or a small group leader they're just not growing. That that person isn't growing. The fruit of the spirit is just there's a few buds, but I'm waiting for like some f- fruit. And there's 
how do you how do you how would you counsel someone who's in that kind of spot well look let's just let's just assume for a moment that you know the pastor that we're describing should be a pastor he's a faithful pastor he's really not doing anything wrong so what what should that pastor be thinking or what should that pastor be doing it's so important to to just realize that pastoral ministry is unique because and i'm not the first to say this by any means you know unlike the mason unlike the bricklayer unlike the carpenter you know we are not guaranteed uh evidence of our labors until heaven therefore of all the i i know brothers we are not professionals but of all mm -hmm. the professions out there ours is one of like pouring out and pouring out and pouring out with no guarantee of receiving and so if we do receive like praise god and like if we see that brother repentant or that sister repentant like praise god that that's his work you know it's not fundamentally our work right. and then the second thing i would just say is let's not grow lazy you know let's not take this reality that we really now know not just with our head but with our heart that it's the lord's work let's not use that reality to keep us from doing all we can to strategize and pray and think creatively not novelly but creatively and contextually like what we can do to be the best shepherds that we could possibly be so the last thing I'd want to do is like write a book that encourages brothers, oddly enough, to sort of be lazy. Like, hmm. well, I'm living a holy life and I'm preaching the gospel. So I'm just going to kind of mail it in. Like, no, 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 no. You know, don't do that. You know, we should work hard. But again, it's, a, it's sort of a cycle. That, that hard work is still no guarantee of success. But let's just keep at it, you know. And some of us are, 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 are better at that than others. I mean, some of us, you know, it's just sort of easier to do the same thing again and again and again. But whether it's easier or hard, I really do think a lot of pastoral ministry is doing the same thing day after day after day and leaving the results to God. In your conclusion of the book, you, you share this story about a, um, a member who is doing a, a ministry inside the church that you sort of just passed over, ignored, not, not intentionally, but just unintentionally. And, um, and there was a, a point where it sounds like he was pretty, uh, upset about it and, and, and broken and, and confronted you. And, uh, you know, I, I was thinking about the relationship between obviously the fruit of the spirit I want to be growing in my life, but then there are offenses that people, you know, do to me, or, you know, vice, maybe if I'm just a member of the church, I, you know, there's offenses that the pastor may, um, may, you know, transgress, you know, against me. And how do I, how and when should I approach the pastor and, and expect an apology? Um, I'm patient on my end. I want to be forgiving. I want to be gentle on my end, but at the same time, there are times where we rub up against one another and how and when should we approach people and, and expect an apology? Well, you know, as the as Proverbs says, it's uh, uh, it's a godly thing to overlook an offense. You know, love covers a multitude of sins, and so I think, by and large, our default setting as Christians 
should be overlooking. Bear, being forbearing. I mean, forbearance really is a, is a piece of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Um, we should recognize that our pastors are not perfect. We should not expect them to be perfect. We should expect them to let us down, to sometimes say the wrong thing, and to pray for them and, and pray that they would grow. So I think our, our default setting as Christians is to overlook an offense. But if, if we're struggling to overlook for various reasons, if we're seeing bitterness take root in our heart, if we're having a hard time listening well to the pastor, uh, I think it's appropriate to go up to him and say, can we talk? And then to do all you can to affirm all the good things that you see in his life that you've received from him. But then to be honest about how something he said or something he did has made it difficult for you to overlook said action. And as a pastor, as a shepherd, he should be well equipped to receive that. And if he's not well-equipped to receive that, well, that's just further evidence he really does have room to grow. I mean, nobody likes receiving criticism, but pastors ought to be able to do it. Yeah, in that, in that vein, I'm, as, as I was reading the book, I'm, it's, it felt very much like, a, in some ways, kind of a, a love letter from a pastor to his congregation of saying, uh, I desire these things. I want to grow in this, in this area. Is it, first of all, is that fair? And then second, um, what would you say if you could just say if you, that you would, what you would want your congregation to know about you uh, as a Christian, as a husband, as a father, uh, if you could tell them anything? Well, I'd want them, I want, I'd want them to know that I, I hold the office of the pastor, of the elder, very, in very high esteem. And I recognize that my life uh, and the life of all of our elders it has an unusual impact on the body as a whole. So Luke chapter 6, verse 40, Jesus tells us that the disciple will become like his teacher. And so I, I, I want my church to understand that one of the reasons why I attend to my own soul is not only because I want to make sure I want to make my calling and election sure, but also because I want the church I serve to be the godliest church that it can possibly be. And in God's economy, the, the sanctification of our congregations are very often no they're always related to the sanctification of the leadership uh, and then you know obviously i want them to know that I, i'm a sinner saved by grace and i'm not perfect and if they want a perfect pastor they're going to need to find a different church you know so not even writing a book on virtue makes one virtuous um <laughs> and uh so that's what I'd want them to know. I, I also want to add, and my guess is, you know, you, you, you're going to come to this, but there is a danger among Christians and, and pastors of being, you know, a navel gazer, right? Like someone who just spends all day long inward looking. I mean, I don't want to be that pastor. I don't want to be the pastor who's spending like all his day wondering, 
kind of wringing his hands because I'm not gentle enough or not joyful enough. I mean, there's work to do. There's, there's a gospel to be shared. There's sermons to be prepared. There's, there's poor to be served. So uh, I want to be about the business of doing ministry. I just recognize that, that a component of the doing is examining myself. Um, but again, I don't, I don't want, I think there, there can be a kind of morbid introspection. And especially if you're a pastor, uh, some, you might be prone to that. I mean, and that's, you got to watch yourself. So, you know, read the book, profit from it, you know, be mindful of your own soul, carve out time in your devotionals to, you know, to do battle with sin, but then feel the freedom to go and, and minister as imperfectly as you inevitably will without feeling the burden of all of your weaknesses and all of your failings. That would be a, an exhortation I'd want to make to my more introspective brothers. Yeah, that's, that's a really, really helpful comeback from the other side, just to give us our unbalanced perspective. And what I hear there too, is that the, the pastor needs to be growing in, uh, the fruit of the spirit as much as anyone and pursuing that working toward that interest but we don't need gospel we just we're not done i'm not done and uh sleep gospel and uh wake up and try hard again tomorrow uh with the with the energy of the spirit as as paul said that god's energizing us Amen. uh in the struggle so uh, brother, I've just been very encouraged by your book uh, and and helped by it. I think I feel on that on the other side of what you closed, I feel on the other side of it. it's very easy. And I think especially at a smaller church like Michael and I, where we have uh, maybe more varying kinds of responsibilities as pastor, we, there's not a large staff to absorb a lot of the uh, ins and outs during the week. I don't have an executive pastor to hand stuff to. I think especially there, I have felt the temptation to be busy about the ministry, and it's very easy to kind of be forgetful about your own heart and your own character. So you're just reading through your book. I honestly, I I picked it up thinking this is going to be a good, helpful book on uh, on the fruit of the spirit, and I might even be able to use this with our church members. <laughs> As I'm reading through it, I'm realizing this is really for me, uh, very much for me. So uh, yeah. I just appreciate your work to do it. I appreciate your humility in, in putting out what it, uh, what you did vulnerably uh, for our sake so that we could think the same way and be courageous the same way. And uh, we just thank God, man. So uh, we, we pray for your church to do well in Vernon. Hope to see you again. And thanks so much for your time today. Well, it's great to be here. And I really appreciate you two brothers modeling, by the way, biblical friendship. So you two pastors, different cities, seeking to encourage one another in the faith, using all the best of modern technology. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it's been a real, real joy to, to get to know you guys better. Well, thanks. We've sure. talked each other off a lot of ledges over the years. <laughs> <laughs> that is the truth. <laughs> so we're grateful. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks a ton, Aaron. Appreciate You're it. You're so welcome. you find most helpful from Aaron? You know, I think 
first of all, just the humility that he brings to it. I think yeah. I, I'm guilty of this, I think probably as much as anybody, of taking a book, whether it be from, you know, John Piper or you know, Aaron Menikoff or anybody else and and thinking, you know, the person who wrote this book is the authority on the subject. And right. that in every, because in every chapter, you read every single chapter, and I don't care if you're a pastor or if you're a, a you know, a, just a member of the church or, you know, or a ministry leader of some sort, every single chapter is super convicting. And it doesn't take much effort to be able to just apply it to your own life, you know, but when you think of like love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, you know, all of these things, you, you end up feeling really awful because you're just thinking through all the many things that like, man, I struggle with this so much. And, you know, as I said in the interview, um, that, you know, gentleness came up to the forefront of me over and over and over again. And, and, um, sitting down with my wife, she confirmed that. And, um, and, and so, you know, it's difficult to read through that and you end up thinking, well, this person obviously has gotten to a point now where they're looking back at me and they're going, you know, you really struggle here and, and that kind of thing. And just the, the attitude that he brings to the topic of, you know, I don't have this figured out. I'm not the authority on the, on the subject. Mm-hmm. Uh, I merely want to raise the issue mm-hmm. that we all should be concerned about this. I thought that's a stellar approach and something that you don't, you know, the author doesn't ever get the opportunity to do that, you yeah. know? And so just that he's able to just say, look, here's the reality I thought was just really helpful. Yeah. And I mean, just talking to him as well, I think, I mean, I just think in, in, in our world when someone writes a book and someone else agrees, hey, this dude should write a book because other people should read it. Uh, you, I think you just kind of have the idea that they've arrived somewhere, that their church has developed somewhere, and it's all kind of put together. Um, but it's just great to hear uh, humility in his in his voice and his person talking with him, but also especially in print, um, in in writing. I was thankful for that. Um, what what do you think is the biggest kind of takeaway, or even any any point of challenge? that we should maybe close with. Yeah, I mean, yes, there's so many as far as takeaway. Um, you know, I, I think it, just to reiterate, you know, the fruit of the Spirit as it's should, should be something that's being, that, that's, um, tr- that's true of us as Christians and growing truer mm-hmm. over time. And I, and I think that's sort of difficult to wrap our minds around and, uh, and, sometimes frustrating and sometimes challenging as we, you know, like he points out, he pointed out in the interview that the Bible is a mirror, you know, and it, and it, it's showing us who we are. Um, you know, I think that can be really frustrating sometimes for, for individuals. And I I think probably for all of us at, at some point, if we're really being honest with ourselves, as we read the scriptures, it's hard sometimes not to walk away going, man, I struggle so deeply with some of these things. Why yeah. do I continue to struggle? And I think it's it's important, and he pointed this out, I think, in some ways, um, and in the book and in, in the interview, that, you know, it's something that's true of you, but growing truer. 
Mm-hmm. It, and, and that's where we should be thinking. That's where we should be focusing is not so much on that we're going to have achieved gentleness or self-control yeah. or love. And we're going to be able to look back on ourselves and go, man, I was such an idiot back then. And now I've got it all figured out. Yeah. But it, it's more that I can say, uh, I, I, as I've heard preacher after preacher say before, you know, I'm, I'm, um, I'm not what I should be, but praise God that I'm, I'm not what I once was. And yeah. that's kind of always the mantra that we're living under is yeah. that it's true of us, but it's growing truer. And, you know, I think, um, you know, while I, while I do, I think along with Aaron struggle with gentleness sometimes and just, you know, maybe under the, under the category of just being blunt, you know, I think too, though it's it, I can see marked improvement even from where I was as a teenager, mm-hmm. you know, uh, to now. Which I know for most people that know me, they're like, <laughs> "Good grief, <Yeah. laughs> must have been rough as a teenager." Um, and that's true, and I feel yeah. that, you know. But yeah. but um, but it, it's something that I I know you know is growing true. But the only way, the only way we actually grow in the fruit of the spirit is by becoming aware that there is an area here we struggle repenting of it and you know with others sort of Mm -hmm. in an accountability type way you know focusing on growing in it praying that the lord gives us some deliverance there so i I think that's a huge takeaway for me anyway yeah i turn i turn 40 in the near distant future sometime soon and there's been a few times this year i've just thought i feel like i should be more mature than i am in many in many ways like just by age i should be more mature and as as an example sometimes at night uh colette and i will read sometimes we'll watch a show together before we go to bed and um a couple nights in the last few weeks my son got a new golf game on his nintendo switch (laughs) And we're sitting in bed, Colette's reading, and I'm over here playing Golf 21 or Golf 2K or whatever. <laughs> Try, and I'm, I'm convincing myself that I'm doing something with my son, right? That we're doing this together, we're on the campaign, we're on the PGA Tour together. But it's just me. I'm putting on goofy clothes onto his character. I'm trying to win this championship. and But I think as I... Let me I, ask you though. Let me ask you just real quick. Yeah. Just I need to interject here because I need yeah. to see I, as a friend. I need to figure out where, like, what? How do I respond to this? Is there has there ever been a point in playing this where you've bragged about something in the game to your wife? No. No. I, okay. No. Okay. We're well. We're okay. You're not too far gone then. It's not like, <laughs> babe. I just won the PGA Championship. You need to understand. I could be wrong. This is a big. I could be I'm wrong. I'm so proud of all my little guys. Yeah. You know, and the way oh, that they man. responded. Oh man. <laughs> but I, so, so as long as my, you're not there, I think we're okay. No, I won an Xbox 360, uh, like for a year or two into our marriage in a raffle, or no, someone else won one and gave it to us. I went straight to the store and bought Call of Duty. I came home. I didn't see my wife for two weeks, and <laughs> she, she didn't say it. But I kind of knew the writing was on the wall. It's either her or the Xbox 360. So I got <laughs> I got rid of the Xbox 360. Haven't seen it since. And uh, but I think one of the things I t- I love so much about uh, 
the book that was helpful for me in just being trained in discussing the fruit of the Spirit, and even in pastoral counseling and in my own pursuit of maturity, was that I never felt like Aaron was coming across heavy-handed. As in, you know, I'm an idiot. You guys are a bunch of idiots. Y'all are all immature. All of your pastoral problems have to do with your spiritual immaturity. You're lacking the fruit of the Spirit. Everyone should feel guilty. Everyone should try harder. There's no gospel there. And that's not how he came across. Uh, I, I came away thinking Christ was more beautiful. I came away feeling encouraged to pursue the fruit of the Spirit. I, I came away loving love more and, and, and loving patience more and just not feeling like weighed down by my own immaturity or sin, but actually looking toward maturity as something I would love to be more like that, um, which I think is a different... Uh, a different way, place to land. Oh, I feel so bad. I'm so I'm such a bad person, which is true, and that's a theological truth. But there's a difference between that kind of almost um, narcissistic introspection, you know, where I'm, I, you know, my self-deprecation is my piety. But actually, just I want to be more loving. I want to be more gentle. It, it sounds good. And so I long for that. So I, I was thankful for that, that my conviction wasn't just a heavy burden, um, but that I felt I felt led to pursue those things and want to be more like that uh, and, and, and felt single, free to pursue every single, that. Every single chapter, he comes back to, well, you you were striving toward goodness, but you're not good. Christ is good. Yeah. You know, and, you know, we're striving towards patience, but look how Christ models patience, you know. Yeah. And, and continually elevates Christ to say he is everything that we could never be and died in our place. And so, like, he continues to come back to the gospel every—I think it's every single chapter. I mean, I don't—you uh, know, I don't think there was one chapter that doesn't have just a gospel message in it and how it applies to goodness or gentleness or self-control, whatever. Yeah. And, um, and so, y- you know, you, you can't really leave the book— feeling like, you know, woe is me, you end up, you know, really encouraged to pursue because Christ has done this. Yeah. He has been what you could never be and has done this for you. And he has given you of his spirit and, you know, by his grace and by by the power of the spirit, we're growing in Christ likeness, which yeah. is, I mean, how can you leave that without being encouraged? Of course you are. You know, yeah. so yeah. good and yeah, convicted this... at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> and I recommend not having convicted. a conversation with your wife right afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think we'll let him lead or end with his the last line in his book. He said, "Christ would have us carry our cross instead of climbing his." Pastors are to lead, following their Savior, while their hearts are filled with the fruit of the Spirit: love, joy, peace, patience, kindness goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Character matters. Not so we look good, but so Christ is praised and his church is made beautiful. That's good. Amen. Amen. See you next week.
Thanks for listening to the Fire and Bones podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider subscribing or following the show on your favorite listening platform so you can be notified every time a new episode is released. Consider leaving us a generous review if that's an option for you. And most importantly, share this podcast with someone that you think might benefit from it. Be sure to check the show notes for any relevant links, including our contact information. Feel free to reach out to us with any questions you might have. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Fire and Bones podcast.